everyone, I'm Rena Kinsey, Executive Vice President of Pupil and Culture at Emerald and Advertising Week. And on today's episode, we're speaking to Alex Love. Alex is an executive coach who specializes in delivering impactful training and coaching to leaders and their teams to foster a workplace with diversity, equity, and inclusion in mind. As founder and CEO of Alex Love Consulting, Alex leads a network of HR consultants, trainers, facilitators, strategists, and project managers to provide guidance to organizations about HR and DNI best practices. Alex is also a collaborator at Envoy, a fair chance employment organization that provides custom support to clients committed to hiring people who were formerly incarcerated. Alex serves as a subject matter expert there alongside a team of other specialists. Envoy advises employers about changing policies and developing pilot programs specifically for greater inclusion and support of employees that have been justice impacted. Before we begin the conversation, I want to share some statistics with our listeners. The number of Americans with criminal records is about the same as the number of Americans with a four-year degree. The truth is that one in three American adults of working age has a criminal record, which accounts for 70 million potential employees. Research shows that only 17% of white job candidates with criminal records get called back after an interview, and that number drops to 5% for black job candidates with a record. Fair chance hiring practices that lead to employment for people that have been incarcerated are also good for communities and save taxpayers money. People who have been just as impacted who are employed are more than twice as likely to not commit additional crimes compared to those who could not find employment. With these statistics in mind, today we're going to discuss fair chance hiring with Alex. Welcome, Alex, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to get right down to it, right? What is fair chance hiring? What does it mean? Why is it important? What are some of the organizations that support this work? All the things that we need to know about fair chance hiring. Great question. Fair chance hiring is hiring folks that have been previously incarcerated or justice impacted. Sometimes it also refers, it's referred to as second chance hiring. Uh, Specifically here at ALC, we like to use fair chance hiring to kind of signal to folks that people have not always received a first chance or a fair chance at hiring. And so really calling it fair chance hiring, kind of noting that there are other forces, uh, lots of isms that are a part of the hiring process. And I think in recent years, there has been a lot of buzz around fair chance hiring, um, which is fantastic. And the uh, business roundtable actually started the second chance business coalition that has almost 40 member companies that are all dedicated to kind of expanding uh, opportunities for folks that have been previously incarcerated. Uh, Some of them include Best Buy and Verizon and Microsoft. Uh, So we're talking about really big organizations that are invested um, in really hiring people with with this background. Alex, you and I were part of the HR team at Vice Media, and you definitely made a much more significant impact there than I did. Um, And that impact was through the apprentice program that you built there. Could you tell us about the program? Yes. Uh, What what a while ago. Um, But we both made an impact, Ren. Uh, I will say that with the apprenticeship program, At the time, Vice had recently done uh, a special with President Barack Obama called Fixing the System, 
where he was the first sitting president to visit a federal prison. Uh, and with that special, Vice really wanted to do more than just cover the topic, but really kind of walk the walk as well. And so at that time, I designed a six-month apprenticeship program uh, in partnership with CEO, the Center for Employment Opportunities, which is a nonprofit that works specifically with folks that have been recently released um, for them to find jobs. And so we kind of partnered with CEO and put together this apprenticeship program that placed folks on a team. And there was a lot of shadowing and learning on the job um, that really got people to understand what the work was at Vice, but then also giving them a lot of real life experience on the job. What do you think made that program so successful? Yeah, so, you know, there was a lot of support, a lot of check-ins, um, making sure that we on the HR team were supportive of that group, but also the leaders of each of those teams, as well uh, as getting the support from CEO kind of to help with additional kind of support and challenges that come up outside of the employer purview. Um, and one of the other key elements that we did was we actually hosted a lot of workshops and training kind of outside of their typical job. And so, for example, one of the workshops that we did um, was finance. So most folks were kind of in production or something related to production. And we ended up having a finance workshop and someone that was originally on the Viceland team actually ended up going to the accounts payable uh, team in finance. And he was there <laughs> for six years. Um, so really successful kind of getting folks to understand different lines of business, the different ways in which business operates, um, and really just getting giving that exposure and having folks see that there's a lot of different opportunities, um, specifically advice at the time. How can someone who wants to bring that same type of apprenticeship program to their employers overcome some of the resistance? Like, did you face resistance? I know you had the CEO support. I know Vice as a brand um, was supportive of that. Did you have any resistance bringing this apprenticeship program? I think that specifically at the time at Vice was a very different kind of situation and context that I think most people face at the time. Um, you know, I was part of leading the human resources team and I had a lot of social capital and Vice as a brand was very interested in kind of these issues and figuring out how we could support. And so I did not get a lot of resistance um, from leadership around kind of putting this together. Uh, it was quite the opposite, actually. It was very supportive. And once I put the plan together, um, it was like, go do it, uh, which was fantastic. But I do think that when employees try to, um, you know, ask their leadership or ask their HR teams about doing fair chance hiring, there is a lot of resistance um, as a new idea. Um, I think folks get tripped up on the perception of risk and what that means. Um, so I would recommend um, to that person that wants to bring fair chance hiring to their employer, chat with HR, potentially chat with your corporate social responsibility team, depending on your organization and talk to your leaders um, because it's not just, you know, good for people and humans, but it is also good for organizations. You know, 
there are a lot of employees, especially younger generations, that want to see the organization that they work for, uh, that they align with their values. And I think that this is one way to do that. I think another thing that can be kind of used as that kind of building the case when talking to potential leaders about a fair chance hiring program is it also gets the organization more directly kind of connected to the community. One of the things I recommend is partnering with a local nonprofit that focuses specifically on supporting people that have been justice impacted. There are many, many amazing organizations across the country um, that really specifically focus on connecting people with these backgrounds to, to work um, and to employers. So I think that's uh, definitely um, a good one. What are some of those organizations that people could partner with? So I think it, it really depends on where you are. Um, location is very important uh, just because of the amount of people, right? So if we're thinking about metros, they're probably going to have more nonprofits that are specifically focused versus um, some of our more uh, rural locations, but they are out there. Um, specifically, the one that we worked with at Vice, uh, it's the Center for Employment Opportunities, they are national, so they do have a lot of reach. Um, but there are other um, really great nonprofits out there that help with this work specifically. What are some other underrepresented groups that continue to get overlooked in the job market? Yeah, I think, you know, we are still in a, a period of time where um, diversity, equity, inclusion is really important. And so to me, I think that folks that come from historical, historically marginalized groups like continue to be overlooked. Um, you know, I know you talked in the last episode about caregivers kind of coming back to work. I think also um, folks with disabilities especially as, uh, as well as transgender and non-binary people, um, they're still being overlooked regularly. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I really recommend to people as they're kind of, you know, trying to start this process of implementing fair chance hiring at their employer, um, one of the really good tactics is um, making sure that you've looked at your hiring process and really taking a look at what are your policies and your procedures currently? Are they inclusive? Is it you know, an easeful process for someone with a specific or different background to get through your hiring process and your interview process? And the other thing is, have you explicitly said on your job application or your website that you kind of accept or are open to people that have been justice impacted. I think that's, you know, a really good tip that I give to everyone is make sure that you're inviting folks in, make sure that they know that they will actually be accepted and supported. Uh, because unless you signal that to people, they're not going to know that they will, you know, be able to get through the hiring process. And so I think that that's one step. And another step is, you know, really taking a look at what your background check policy is. Um, as we've talked before, Ren, you know that my stance is that not everybody needs a background check policy at your organization. Make sure that it is job relevant. But one of the things that I really would like people to do that currently have a background check policy is really taking a look at 
have you created stops um, or sometimes we refer to them as hard stops as part of your background check, meaning that if a conviction, a certain conviction comes back, that it means an automatic kind of no. Um, take a look at that. And can you minimize that? Can you really review that and see if it's job related and see whether or not you have the capacity, which I would recommend you do, um, to make sure that you are speaking with the candidate. Anytime that there is something that comes back on a background check and you might think that you might want to pass on that candidate, make sure that you understand all that context. A lot of times um, you see something on a background check and you have no idea what that means. And you're making a lot of assumptions around what that context was. Um, and so I say, you know, make sure that you're reaching out to that person, make sure that you're understanding fully what has happened and also what has happened since, because I think that that also matters as part of, you know, your, your hiring decision. Um, what has that person done since? Um, has there been any, you know, education or programs or involvement in the community um, that make this person, again, a, a really great, a great candidate? Is it fair to say that most of us probably know someone who's been just as impacted? Yeah. So one of the statistics that I really love uh, to bring up is that one in two people um, in the United States has a family member that has been previously incarcerated. So either you know someone or your family member knows someone, but there's probably someone in your orbit that has been impacted um, by the criminal legal system. And, and that's just really a signal to how kind of pervasive this is, how many people are impacted um, by the criminal legal system. And really the, you know, whatever fear or stigma is attached to your kind of previous uh, perceptions of that, do some research, um, really look into it. Uh, because some of the kind of research coming out of the Sherm Foundation found that 85% of uh, HR professionals and 81% of business leaders report that individuals with criminal records perform the same as or better than employees without criminal records. Um, so definitely something to look into uh, and make sure that you're not um, excluding these folks from your hiring processes and from your, from your organizations. And you mentioned a little bit about looking into your hiring practices to, to create a, a, a workplace where there's more diversity, equity, and inclusion. How about for those employers who are looking for ways to retain the talent once they hire them? What's a piece of advice you, you'd give them? Absolutely. Great question. I think that retention is just as important as, as hiring and talent acquisition part. Um, really making sure that there is support. Um, having regular check-ins with your with your managers, making sure that that is a part of just retaining any of your employees. Communication and feedback are so, so important. Um, and so I think uh, check-ins, but I think the other thing that's really helpful is any mentorship or coaching programs, um, either that you have or that you can create. Again, really, getting that support um, is is really helpful. And as I said previously, sometimes it is also uh, a great benefit to, <clears throat> excuse me, to partner with this community uh, nonprofits that can provide even more support 
than your HR folks can can provide to those folks. Thank you for saying that because HR does not have all the answers, but we could definitely certainly partner with leaders uh, and organizations who actually spend a lot of time and research in, in gathering information on how to effectively do this. At what point should somebody reach out to a consultant like you? Like what is some of the work that you want them to do in-house first before reaching out to you? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, at, a, at any stage, if you are looking for um, some help or guidance around fair chance hiring or how to implement, um, happy to chat. Um, I think that really getting leadership buy-in is probably one of the tougher kind of steps to take. Um, we absolutely help uh, organizations, leaders and employees with kind of getting that internal buy-in to kind of start an initiative like this. Um, but I would say having conversations with your leaders around, is this something that we can really implement? Um, because there are a lot of different departments and groups and teams that need to come together to make kind of a successful program. Um, but I would say at any stage, I think I see kind of a variety of organizations um, with different sets of needs that come uh, and need help around fair chance hiring implementation. One group is just folks that aren't sure what it is, but know that they want to support, know that they want to help um, and just want to do some work. So come and get some, you know, 101 guidance. I think the other thing, the next kind of tier is folks that have identified that this is something that they'd like to do in their organization, but they're not sure how. Um, and so I have a lot of employers that come to me and ask for me to do a review of those policies. Um, take a look at our policies, take a look at our processes, tell us where those growth opportunities are so that we can continue to support folks. Um, and not only folks that have been just as impacted, but really a range of folks from different backgrounds. Um, it's referred to as a curb cut, and it's not, not my phrase. Um, Dr. Angela Glover, I believe, talked about how when we make kind of um, initiatives or kind of steps to support like one group of people, usually that ends up supporting a lot of different other folks um, with various needs. And so, you know, really taking a look at what your policies, what your procedures are, are they inclusive? Are they supportive? Um, additionally, looking at your background check policy and whether or not you have, some organizations have a matrix that kind of goes along with their policy as well. Um, taking a look at that matrix and again, kind of reviewing what are your hard stops and can we kind of take those hard stops and turn them into more conversations um, to have with the candidate. So, you know, kind of various degrees. I think another need that comes up for folks is um, knowing that they want to do this, having leadership buy-in, maybe having already changed some of their processes, but then not sure how to not sure how to go about kind of identifying a nonprofit or a community partner um, in their area. And so we um, do a lot of that as well. Typically we partner with Envoy to help um, organizations really streamline their processes around partnering with a community partner um, and specifically finding the right one for you. Um, that's really important and kind of building that, that relationship. So whatever level you're at, we have, we have help, we have guidance, um, and we can help you through the process. Alex, as people are thinking about 
fair chance hiring and maybe even building an apprenticeship program, do they have to start with a certain amount of people? Could they start small as they get used to it? What's best practices there? Yeah, thank you for asking this question. I think you can absolutely start small. So our first cohort with our apprenticeship program was only five. Um, I have heard of some even smaller starting with three. Um, I wouldn't do any less than that because having kind of a, a buddy or a cohort really is helpful as part of this. But I do think it's important to note that you don't have to start really wide and kind of open everything up. I think that you can start an apprenticeship with a small cohort cohort of people and really from that process, learn and grow and understand, you know, what do we need to tweak? How do we become even more supportive um, for this program or just hiring in general? Um, so absolutely great point that you can start small, learn from there and grow bigger. And when you were building that program, did you have an example that you were looking to or did you just build it from scratch? I did build it from scratch. Uh, I think that what I was thinking about at the time was how do I build something, build a program that would remove real barriers from that person being able to do their best work. So some of the things kind of on the back end was um, we didn't require a degree at all. Um, and the only kind of question was, are you interested in vice? One. Um, two, there was a literacy question, like, can you just read and write and uh, you know work on computers? And that was basically it. Um, and then from there, CEO, um, the nonprofit that we were working with kind of developed uh, this final candidate list for us. And we, we interviewed that, that list of folks, um, but, I think really reducing those barriers was was key. And I also wanted to differentiate it from our internship program at the time, um, which was a lot more geared towards folks that were in college um, or some type of education program. And so really having the apprenticeship program focus on, on the job learning. Um, and I really wanted to emphasize that and figure out how to make that work best within kind of the parameters and resources that we had at Vice. The other thing I want to be really mindful of was how can I build a program that could also be kind of a receipt um, that folks could take elsewhere. And so I wanted it to be six months as a minimum so that that could be considered real job experience, real work experience if you went somewhere else. Um, some of these things that, you know, when there's smaller, shorter programs and people don't really get enough experience, it's hard for them to kind of take that to another place. So really having it be portable was um, was important to me. You talked about the hard stops and, and having a conversation instead of having what you find be, a, be the stop that prevents the, the candidate from being able to move forward with the candidacy. Is that conversation something that a hiring manager should have? Is it something that HR should have? Who is essentially the best person to make that decision? Yeah, I would recommend it be the HR person. Um, HR folks are already handling a lot of confidential um, information as it relates to hiring. So I think if you can limit that, um, and I would say really depends on the structure of the organization, how they've structured HR, how they've structured hiring, because in some organizations, as we know, you don't have an HR team, you have 
one person doing all of the things. And so in that case, sometimes you have to lean on hiring managers, but I would say making sure that both HR folks as well as hiring managers are trained um, and have some education and awareness around fair chance hiring so that some of those biases don't come into that process. But typically I would say that should be with the HR person and the hiring manager should only hear this person is good to go. If you agree, then they're good on our kind of pre-employment uh, verification process. But I think that that should really be kept um, as confidential and as internal as we possibly can. Got it. So the first part is getting the leadership buy-in and maybe educating them about the statistics and why this is the right strategy for the company as far as the undertap talent pool. The second part is making sure that HR is having the conversations with those candidates who may have been just as impacted to understand the background and some context, the timing, the situation, et cetera. And then after that, it's they're just as a regular employee. You just onboard them the same way and their experience is the same as another employee's. That's right. Yep. They're just another employee. That's right. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, it, for those who are listening, they're like, yeah, that sounds right, but I'm still scared. There's still a part of me that's scared to explore this fair chance hiring. I don't know, et cetera. We have some leaders listening to the podcast as well. What would you say to them? I would say do a little bit of research. Um, there's a lot of statistics out there. Um, I will say SHRM has done a really great job at putting a lot of resources together for folks. They have a specific kind of certification program called Getting Talent Back to Work um, that gives a lot of resources, especially to managers, about how to kind of move through this process and where to start. Um, and, you know, I think this is one of those things where once you hear about it, you're not going to stop hearing about it. You know, it's like when you learn a new word and then you're like, I see this word everywhere. That's kind of the same thing with fair chance hiring. Once you hear about it, once you know, you're like, oh, it's everywhere. And um, there are lots of people that kind of are impacted uh, that are in your life. And so as soon as you start talking about it, other people, I think, will also champion that. And I think that's one of the big things that I would say as a takeaway is this work really needs champions, internal champions at organizations, as well as leadership champions, um, really to say that this work is important, that we need to support people um, that are coming back from incarceration or generally have that have been justice impacted. And um, that is kind of part of us being a community is us supporting um, each other. And so I really hope to just give that as a takeaway that no matter what title or what position you're in, you can still be a champion of this work um, and really help um, bring it, bring it across the finish line for a lot of the organizations that are just starting. Love that. Thank you so much, Alex. And how can people find you? Oh, you can find me everywhere. So I would say to get in touch with me um, directly, you could go to my website, alexloveconsulting.com. We're on the socials. We're on Instagram and Alex Love Consulting and on LinkedIn, um, same thing. And I'm looking forward to hearing from folks if there's any help or support that you need, any coaching about kind of getting into the process or getting buy-in, um, ha happy to help. Um, I love love talking about this and I'm just hoping that more and more organizations kind of create 
even more kind of inclusive and supportive hiring processes, as well as um, workplace culture. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more podcasts like this one, be sure to check out Advertising Week's growing network of audio podcasts for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries at www.advertisingweek.com slash podcasts.